My title today for the sermon is Seed for Sowing. We have been in this four-week teaching series on the topic of sowing and reaping. And I want to draw my sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, join me there. What we have been learning so far is that there is this unchangeable principle that Scripture says in Galatians 6, whatever you sow, that shall you reap. And we've learned that seeds are our thoughts, our words, our actions, our investment of time, and even our money. We can actually predict the future by what we plant today. Seeds have life in them. Paul is now going to draw from this whole world of farming and this principle of sowing and reaping to teach us what it means when we deal with sowing financially. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, the apostle was commending to the Corinthian church, because this letter was written to the Corinthians, he was telling them something unusual happened in Macedonia among the Macedonian Christians. And by the way, Macedonia, they had a civil war in the prior, you know, the prior century, and it still was wreaking havoc in the country, abject poverty, dire straits, and the Christians there in Macedonia were being persecuted physically. But Paul wanted to send some money to a group of Christ followers, Christians, that were not in Macedonia, not in Corinth, and the Macedonians had no idea. They've never, never met them. And the interesting thing happened. The Macedonians said, we want to get involved in this. And then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 that they gave so generously. And Paul was trying to figure out how could they, so poor, so needy, so persecuted, be able to be so generous? Paul says, they gave themselves first to God and then to us. Then he's telling the Corinthians, look, these Macedonians, they're, they're no one special. They're just recipients of God's grace. It's amazing when God's grace get a hold of someone's heart. Powerful things happen. Then Paul now says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And when I go to verse 10, the apostle says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This verse, Paul doesn't even use the word money. Nowhere does he say money. He uses the word seed. Say with me, please. I need seed. That's like covert language. It's underground language. The underground church. I need seed. Anybody need seed? 
Okay, we need seed. The apostle is teaching us that the way you get seed or a harvest, I should say the way you get a harvest, by planting seeds. Now, I want to put it right out there so none of you are questioning where I'm going. Next week, Sunday, we have set aside that Sunday as a day where we plant a generous seed into the soil or the ministry of Christ church. There's stuff that the church has to do, but you're not giving to the church. You're sowing in the church so you can reap a harvest in your life. Did you get that? Okay. So how many know where I'm going? It's pretty plain. See, I like being straight. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I don't know any other way. Just, <laughs> just be straight. But there are questions that we must ask ourselves because God gives us this amazing promise. God says, I give seed to the sower. In essence, the Bible is saying, you want seed? First, determine that you are going to be a sower. If you're not a sower, why do I need to give you seed? In undergraduate, teachers would, for my professors, they would give out, and when we, they said, do this homework, come the next week, they'd give out the homework answers and show you what to do. Then I went to grad school, and the teacher said, this is the homework. And then we came back the next week. He says, how many of you have done the homework? Raise your hand. Some people didn't do it. He passed out only the answers to the people who did the homework. Some people saying, what, what, what? He's saying, what do you need the answer for? You didn't do anything. And he just moved on. How are you going to complain? God says, I'm going to give seed to sowers. What do you need seed for? You're not a sower. So in other words, you have to first determine in your heart, I want to be a sower. I want to be a giver. I want to plant a generous seed. And God says, if that's what you want to do, then here's what I'm going to do for you. I make you this, un, or this intractable promise. I will not change my mind. I give seed to sowers. And those who sow sparingly, I cause them to reap sparingly. Those who sow generously, I, through the principle of sowing and reaping, cause them to reap generously. Here's my question. How do I get seed? In studying the scripture, I found out that there are three questions that help me find seed. Since God says, I give seed to the sower. One question is, what do you have in your house? Another question is, what do you have in your hand? The third question is, what do you have in your midst? And we're going to walk through each of those questions because you'll be surprised that at the end of each of those questions, there's a whole bunch of seeds that you didn't even know you had. And the first one we find in the story in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant! My husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditors coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? 
Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Stop there. I'm always amazed of how the scripture paints for us this story that builds our faith, but we rush right to the faith-building moment. Don't rush there. Look at all the emotions behind the story. Here's a widow woman, recently widowed. She's hurting. She's grieving. She's distraught. The husband was the breadwinner. We know it because she says, my husband's creditors come. In other words, he had struck up deals. And, and by the way, Elisha, he used to be one of the guys in the team of prophets. You were training to be one of the prophets to the nation. He died. His creditors come to me, and he wants to take my two boys and make them slaves. In Bible days, when you couldn't pay a debt, they can take your kids as slaves, and your kids would have to work as indentured servants for X number of years to pay off the indebtedness. So this woman is not only, she's not only lost her husband, she's about to lose her two sons. And so she's going to the prophet, and her hope is that, can you, can you give me some money? Elisha offers her no money. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is give people money, bail them out. They never grow. They never use their faith. They never mature. And what Elisha did instead, he posed this question to her. He said, what do you have in your house? In her mind, she had a mental picture. She said, I have nothing in my house except this little jar of oil. What could that do? In your private moment, read the rest of chapter 4 of 2 Kings. Elisha tells her, go to all your neighbors and borrow from them empty jars, empty canisters, empty containers. Then take those empty containers, go home, and then close the door behind you. You and your two sons in that house. I want you to then to take that small jar of oil and pour it into the containers that are empty. And the scripture shows that the boys were bringing the container. And the mother was pouring oil. And the, then the, Elisha told her, set the jar that, or the containers that's filled with oil, set it to a side. And so the boys kept on bringing a container. She kept on pouring from that little jar. And it was filling up big containers. And they're moving it to the side. And then she kept on pouring. And they're bringing. And then she says, come on, do you have any more? And they said, we don't have any more. In other words, God's miracle would have continued had they had more containers. She was then able to sell all that oil, pay off her creditors, get monies to be able to sustain and take care of her household and make sure her and her sons were fed and nurtured and cared for and, and, and had food more than enough. It all began because what she needed was a question that can show her that God gives seed to the sower. And so the question was, what do you have in your house? There are many of you here, you have things in your house that you don't know you have in your house. You said, man, I, if I had it, then I'll give it. If I had it, I'll sow it. You have it. 
You know in your closet? What's that size six dress still doing there? And you're not size six any longer. And you know you bought a whole bunch of dresses. They're brand new. And you were saying, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to really lose weight, get back down. And brother, you shouldn't laugh. That jacket, that suit, size 44. You know you're not 44 any longer. Maybe in European numbers, but not, you know, it's not, you know, I just want to say that you have stuff. You, did you look in the garage? That bike that you bought, that road bike, that you're going to go biking in the trails to, for exercise, you paid 800 bucks for that bike. It is still new. He said, but uh, I like that bike. You have not ridden that bike in two years. My question to you is, what do you have in your house? You say, I like my bike. Well, the treadmill next to it, you put clothes on it to dry. Brand new treadmill. I still am asking the same question. What do you have in your house? You've heard of eBay. Put it on eBay. And you have seed to sow. God gives seed to the sower. Are you with me? In the Philippines, this little boy had this huge fish he just caught in the river. He knocked on the door of the missionary. And when the missionary opened the door, the little boy said, Pastor, I have this fish that I just caught. I want to give this to you. And the pastor thanked him. And the boy said, you have been teaching me about sowing and reaping. And the pastor said, well, what are you and your family going to eat tonight? He said, you've been teaching me about sowing and reaping. And I wanted to give you the first fruits because the harvest is back in the river. I'm going there to catch our meal. The boy understood it. We as adults, sometimes we don't understand it. We think that there's some gimmick, there's some catch. This, we've gotten so jaded and so suspicious and so cynical that we forgot about using biblical principles. God established it. I've never met a farmer who said, you know something? I'm going to sit here on my porch and smoke my corncob pipe and I just hope I have a great harvest this year. Question the farmer. Have you sowed seeds? Nope. How are you going to have harvest? Well, hope God loves me. See, we're mixing up issues. It has nothing to do with God's love. I hope God provides me. It has nothing to do with that. He's already provided. Seed becomes harvest. You've got to plant so you can reap. Question, what do you have in your house? Rub your hands together like this. Come on. Tell me another story, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Moses was an incredible leader. But he wasn't always an incredible leader. The guy was 80 years old. That means when he left Egypt where he was born, he had killed a guy and he was 40 years old. He ran for his life because the Egyptians were looking for him. He went to another nation, a neighboring nation, Midian. Fell in love with a woman. They had two sons. He's now 80 years old. He's taking care of a flock of sheep. 
in the, in, in the rural areas. God visits Moses and says, Moses, I want to send you back to Egypt. And I want you to go back there and I want you to get all of my people, my covenant people, the Hebrew people, over a million people, and I want you to bring them out of Egypt into my promised land. Because I promised their predecessor, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now I'm letting them know that promise I made to Abraham that went down through his grandson Jacob. I want to fulfill that promise. Go and tell them that the Lord says, come on, let's go. Now, here's what Moses says. How, how in the world... Am I going to go and get these people to leave Egypt? The Egyptians will try to kill me. The people won't believe me. What do I do? Let's join Moses now in verse 1 of Exodus 4. Moses answered, What if they, that is the Hebrew people, do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Whoa. Put yourself in the position of Moses. You're minding your own business. You're not thinking about going back to Egypt. There's a wanted ad out for you in the post office, FBI, looking for you. God says, Moses, I have a problem. I made a promise many, many years ago, and I want to fulfill that promise, and I need someone who's willing to be an agent of social justice. I've tapped you. So this is not now, this is a different scenario. This is not where someone is poor, someone is broken, someone is grieving from the loss of a spouse. A different scenario. Here's someone that God says, I have big leadership calling on your life. I have a societal problem that I want you to solve. But I want you to understand the power of how I give seeds to sower so you can change society and bring reformation of what I'm calling you to reform a people, their worldview, their outlook, their feelings, their emotions. Those people who thought that God has forgotten them. I want you to be able to go into Egypt and bring them out of that place of bondage and enslavement. And Moses deathly afraid. I can't do it. God, no way. And then all of a sudden, here comes this game-changing question of how God is about to work a miracle and he's giving seed to a sower. God asks, what do you have in your hand? I just got a piece of stick, a staff, wood. God says, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it down. It turns into this huge snake it wasn't a small one he wouldn't have jumped back he ran back whoa snake moving around like snakes do and Moses is afraid and God says grab it by its tail he grabs it by its tail it turns back into a stick God says when you go to Egypt 
I want you to take this same staff that you have in your hand. Because when you have something in your hand, it's one thing. When you give it to me and put it in my hand, it's a whole nother dimension. And so when you go into Egypt, when my covenant people ask you, who do you think you are telling us, pack your bags, we're moving out of Egypt. When they ask you that kind of question, you take that staff. It's no longer in your hand. Throw it down. That means you put it in my hand. And when you do that, whatever is in your hand, when you put it in my hand, it works a miracle to bring about my end result. And so when Moses did that, all of a sudden he gets the attention of people. I want you to see it makes a difference whose hand it's in. A basketball in my hand is just $30 worth of rubber. Put in the hands of LeBron James, it's $94 million a year in salary and endorsements. It makes a difference whose hands it's in. Some bread and fish in my hand will make a nice little, you know, fish taco and fish and chips meal. Put it in the hands of Jesus, it becomes meal for 25,000 people. See, it depends on whose hands it's in. A microphone in my hand at a concert hall is a poor excuse for a singer. But in the hand of Adele, it amplifies songs that shape a generation. It all depends on whose hand it's in. A football in my hand will just cause kids and adults to laugh. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But you put it in the hand of Tom Brady, it's entrance into nine Super Bowl championships and winning six of them. It all depends on whose hand it's in. And so what we're struggling with is what's in our hand. And so I ask you the question again. See, you have a few dollars in your hands or a few thousand dollars in your hands or a few million dollars in your hands based on where you want to go. You may have 10 million, but you need 20. You may have 50,000, but you need 300,000. And so there's always a gap between what we have in our hand and what we need as a harvest. And you need to ask yourself the question, if I keep what's in my hand, then that really is my harvest. But when I put what's in my hand... In the hand of God, it becomes seed, and it depends on whose hand it's in. And when it's in my hand, it's one thing. When it's in God's hand, it's another. And when money is in my hands, it's a few bucks. In the hand of God, it produces unspeakable miracles. And so I remind you again, church, it all depends on whose hand it's in. Question. Go ahead, give the Lord a round of applause. Question. What do you have in your hand? Christ church is planting time. And when it's planting time, you got to shake yourself and get yourself ready to plant. And let me tell you this. What I've learned over the years is this. If I, since I'm the lead pastor and I'm typically the spokesperson when it comes to certain opportunities. If I never challenge you, you'll never grow. One of the young men in the congregation was in the 2016 Olympics for judo. And he's preparing again for the 2020 judo Olympics, or the Olympics, and particularly in his field or his sport, judo. His contractual arrangement with some of the big sporting companies when he was up in Boston area was that they would fly in judo players that are champions globally to this call to play judo with him so that he can improve. 
and they weren't honoring. And they weren't flying in. So he's playing judo with the same normal guys, same Americans, same guys. And his ability to improve was actually dropping. And so there was a bunch of guys in Jersey that are global guys and guys from Bulgaria and guys from Russia and guys from Mexico and guys from, from, from the Middle East and they would come into the different judo clubs here and when he came back to Jersey and he's fighting these guys, I'm talking about guys like 6'10", 300 pounds, solid muscle and you got to fight against them, his game began to improve. You need to be challenged in order to improve. The worst thing I can do for you is never ask you to do anything for Christ. It will be a disservice if I never give you an opportunity to sow a seed. It will be a disservice to you if I never say to you, what are you going to do about your faith? It will be a disservice to you if I never say, hey, I know you have problems. I know you have needs. I know you have desires. I know what's going on. I know some of those things, other things I don't know. But I'm asking you, on November 17th, next week, would you sow a generous seed? And you're saying, Pastor, if you ask me anything else, I would do it. But that, no way. And when you say no way, you're entitled to say it. Paul says, don't give grudgingly. Don't give on to compulsion, because God doesn't like a grudging gift. God doesn't like a person who gives in a compulsory way. Oh man, I gotta give. Oh boy. God says, keep it. Because he says, hey, it, it's like someone giving you a birthday gift and saying, here's your gift. Now, if it was a Mercedes, I'll, <laughs> I'll drive it. <laughs> but it's not that. It's some boxed up gift that they repackaged. It's a scarf that they got from their grandfather and he didn't like it. And, and it was torn and you know, it has lice in it. And here's the gift. I don't want the gift. What we're learning is that God gives seed to sowers. And in order for us to find the seed that we need, there are questions that come to our minds, regardless of our circumstance. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? And when you have caused your heart to become disposed or predisposed or inclined to be a sower, God says, since you have made up in your mind you want to be a sower, I'll give seeds to you. Answer this question and you'll find seed. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? At the end of the question, God provides seed to the sower. Rub your hands together like this again. All right, tell me another story, Pastor. I got those two. I like stories. This third story captures a very sad and unusual circumstance where God gives seed to a sower. The main characters are Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Married for over 10 years at a time, longing to have children. God tells Abraham, Abraham, his name used to be Abram. God says, look, I want to change your name. He said, what? Because Abram means lofty one. 
God says, I want to change to Abraham, which means father of many nations, because I'm going to cause you to become father of many nations, your children and your children's children, children's children. You'll have many nations that you would have created between you and Sarah. I can see the smile break out on Abraham's face. Cool. Fast forward. Sarah's barren, no children. Sarah comes up with this inventive idea. Abram, my, 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 my maid here, Hagar, she's of childbearing age. Why don't you, you and her get together, and if she has children, any children she has, we'll look at them as ours. Abram, you can see a smile on his face. Cool. I'm not cheating? No, you're not cheating. And so Abraham and Hagar get together and have a son, and his name is Ishmael. God visits Sarah again and says, Sarah, that wasn't my plan for you. I'm going to give you a child out of your own womb. Fast forward, 14 years go by. Ishmael's 14. Sarah gives birth to a child. They name him Isaac. Eight days after Isaac's birth, they're circumcising Isaac according to the, you know, the tradition there, the Hebrew tradition and God's covenant responsibility that he's given Abraham. And Abraham, not only are they circumcising Isaac, they're going to throw a big feast with a celebration. There's singing, there's music, there's lots of food. And so the feast is going on. And when the feast is going on, Sarah catches Ishmael mocking the whole thing. She gets livid. She goes to Abram and says, Abram, I need you to drive out that woman and her son because her son will not share any of the inheritance with my son Isaac. The scripture says there in Genesis 21 that Abraham was a little bit saddened, but he knew the deal. If mama ain't happy, finish it, brothers. Nobody's happy. And so... Here's Abraham, next morning, he gets some food, he gets this container, it's almost like one of these leather bags, and he pours water in there, and he gives this, this water container and this food to Hagar and Ishmael and said to them, you guys gotta go. So now we find the focus becomes Hagar and Ishmael. Now, mind you, they're in a desert area. Arid. Water is not plentiful. There are no streams of living water flowing around. None of that. So Hagar and her teenage boy, they're out in the wilderness now in the desert, and they're wandering around, and they run out of water. And so now they realize this sun is beaming down on us, and there's no water. We're about to die. And then the scripture tells us that she said to her son, why don't you go and just stay under those bushes over there? Because the scripture says she could not bear to see him die. So, and then she went, what they refer to as a bow shot away. So maybe about two, three hundred feet. And so she can still somehow see. And when she goes away, she's crying. And I want us to see Genesis 21, verse 17, God comes on the scene. God heard the boy crying. So his mom is crying in one place, he's crying in another. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. For I will make him into a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God heard the cry of the boy. He was about to work a seed faith miracle. The angel says, Hagar, don't be afraid. And then the angels ask her this question, in essence, what do you have in your midst? I open your eyes so you can see what's in your midst that you could never have seen before. Sometimes we never see what's in our midst. We're, we're so blinded by fear, blinded by need. We're paralyzed by our circumstance. The emotions are so overwhelming. The, our plight seems so doomed and so, so dismal, so, so morbid. There's no way. I just got to die. That's it. I've, I've resolved in my mind. I'm going to die. This is all over. And we don't see. And then all of a sudden this question opens our eyes. What do you have in your midst? Fear is a major para paralyzer. God gives seed to sower. I've shared this story so many times, but oh, I love this story because it's my story. Marlene and I had been married for about a year, living in South Jersey. I was working as an environmental engineer, and I got a better environmental engineering job in Fort Lee. So we were living in Burlington, New Jersey, exit 5 off the New Jersey Turnpike. I had to drive two hours north on the Turnpike every day to get to work. And it was not sustainable. Two hours to get to work, two hours to come back home. I mean, it was like you can see blood on the highway every day, just blood on the highway. Whose blood is that? That's David Ireland's blood. And so Marlon and I resolved it. We got to move to North Jersey. There was just one problem. Recent grad, no huge savings. You need one month's security deposit, one month's rent to get an apartment. And I didn't have all of that. I liquidated my huge account because I'm saying, God, I'm believing you for a miracle. So I took out $300 bills. That's all I had. And I, I tell the teller, give me a $100 bill, please. Because you know, when you have a big bill, you don't spend it. So I took those three crisp, brand new $100 bills. Fold up, put in my pocket. And I was just walking, I was looking at the papers all the time. Back then there was no internet. I'm looking at the papers all the time, seeing where there's a place, seeing if there's a miracle. I need a miracle. A young husband, I'm trying to learn what it means to be a provider, to care for my wife. And here I am just creating a mess because I have not, I don't have the financial wherewithal to provide. And so, and she's not harping on that. She's just giving me space to process my pain. Sunday rolled around. We go to church. I already had my tithe check written out separate than the, 100, than the $300. I don't mess with my tithe. I'd learned how to tithe two months after I'd been a Christian. And so I've been tithing ever since for 37 years, honoring God with that because I know what it was like to live a lost, broken, sin-filled life. And when Jesus saved me, I promised him everything. All of who I am, I give to you. And I still mean it. I'm in church. Three $100 bills in my pocket. My wife was looking for a job. Her largest bill I knew in her purse was $20. Came time to give you the tithe and offering. So I took out my tithe check and my envelope. It's already filled out. The pastor said to everybody in the congregation, must have been about 100 people in the church, hey, folks, don't, 
I don't want you just to rush to give your gift today. But what I want you to do is take the largest bill that you have, apart from your tithe, the largest bill you have on your person, and give it as a seed this morning in the offering. When he said that, fear gripped my heart. There's no way I'm going to give $100. No way. I don't care what you call it. You can call it seed. You can call it money. You can call it potatoes. You can call it oranges. You call it, I don't care what you call it. I don't care what spin. I don't care what Bible verses you use. I'm not giving anything. I got my tithe. That's it. You can talk all you want. My mind's made up. I'm not giving anything. And then he said, if what you have in your hand is not big enough for a harvest, why not turn it into a seed? Fear gripped me. And I'm thinking, why couldn't this be like Star Trek where I could say to the, you know, the engineer, beam me up, take me to my car. I mean, the devil said you should have left that money in your glove compartment of your car. This way you have no problems. And I'm stalking back to the devil. I'm saying, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, how could I get to my car right now and nobody sees me? And, and I was, I'm, st- I'm struggling. And I'm just sitting there, I got my poker face on. I don't even know how to play poker, but I've just got my poker face on. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm just expressionless. I'm just, you know, you know, just, just, you know, I'm not conveying to anybody that I'm having a problem here. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just looking straight ahead and just, you know, the music's playing in the background. They're talking about sowing your seed. I'm not sowing anything. And then I felt something staring in the side of my head. I knew it was Marlinda. Her eyes were boring a hole in the side of my head. And so, you know, it's like I, I started talking to her telepathically. I said, look away. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Look over there. And I'm not new. I'm, I'm still looking ahead. But I knew husbands have some type of sixth sense. You know when your wife is trying to tell you to do something. Honey, trust God. Let's do this. Leave me alone. You trust God. I'm going to do my thing. You know, and so I'm here. I'm, I'm crippled by fear. I'm just, I'm just looking and just looking ahead. And then, you know, our eyes kept penetrating my skull and getting to me. And, and the Holy Spirit's using the pastor's exhortation is getting to me. And then all of a sudden I go into my pocket and I'm fumbling around. And I peel off one of those, one of those three $100 bills and I crumple it up. I didn't even want it to look pretty. I crumple it up and I got into the center aisle where the, all the other individuals were. They're in the center aisle. We're walking up to the front where the offering basket was. It was like death row. I was walking to, it's like I'm walking to plank. I'm walking the plank and I'm walking up there right where that basket is and I put my offering envelope in and then I dropped my $100 bill and I didn't know I'm planting it. I'm dropping it in there. And so I had no faith. I'm just dropping it. I said, man, I'm giving away my stuff. All I got is two $100 bills and I don't know what else to do. And so when I saw the deacons take away the basket, my eyes watched them. They went out the, through the door. I'm looking at them. I'm they're going around the wall. I'm seeing through the wall. I'm looking at them going into the back room. I'm seeing all that. I didn't know what that preacher preached on that day. All I knew, my eyes were looking back there where they took my $100 bill. And so that was what was going on. And so, and then when I got to the car, I'm just quiet. How are you doing, honey? And my wife says, uh, what do you think I'm doing? I'm messed up. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. And so I go to work the next day. We drive two hours up to, you know, to Fort Lee. And I'm there. I'm tired already. Work hasn't even started. And I'm just trying to concentrate. They, they're paying me to do a job. I'm trying to do my job. And then one of the principals of the engineering firm I'd never met before. There are five principals for this firm. He comes over to me and says, hey, are you that young engineer we just hired? I said, yes, sir. He said, I understand you live in South Jersey. Have you moved up to North Jersey yet? I said, no. 
He says, uh, what's, what's, what's the problem? And then before I answer that question, he posed another question. Is it a financial matter? I pause because this is a professional setting. You don't tell a guy, I don't have the money. And I, you, you can't do that. So I'm struggling. And so I pause. He interpreted my pause. He said, young man, I want you now to go down to the, to, the, to the comptroller's office, have her write out one month's security deposit and one month's rent, and do it now. That'll be above your, your, your salary. Do it right now. Before he said, do it right now, I was like this. I ran down there because what I realized was this. And I'm trying to connect the dots. When that pastor made that statement, I had no idea, no idea that what was in my midst. And I ask you these three questions. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your midst? I let you wrestle with it. And whatever you decide to do, there's a process when you decide to sow a seed. Let me show you how you do it. Four-step process in how to plant a seed. First, deliberate. What do you mean deliberate? Deliberate with God. Pray. Say, God, what do you want me to do? Not what I have. What do you want me to do? Give me guidance, your leadership. Second, discuss. Discuss with who? If you're married, you better talk with your spouse. You're single, better talk with yourself. But you discuss with your families to what's going on, what's percolating in your heart about this issue of a harvest on the horizon, what you're believing God to do in 2020 through your seed. The third thing you do is determine. Determine your potential for planting a seed. Don't just look at your salary. Look at what you may have in terms of stocks, land, capital gifts. Because if you're going to be a major deliverer, you know, sowing $5 is not a major thing for you. For someone else, but not you. So don't sow a seed that someone else should be sowing. Sow your seed. The fourth thing you do is decide. And you decide the size gift. You don't wait until next week. Don't, don't come here on Sunday and say, I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, you wait on the Lord during the week. And so when you give your gift, you can give your gift in faith, knowing that, God, I've answered these three questions. What do I have in my house? What do I have in my hand? What do I have in my midst? And when you do that, you find yourself being set up by the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill this promise God made to you. I give seed to sowers. And ladies and gentlemen, I've been sowing for the last 37 years. That's the length of time I've been serving Jesus. And I'm still of the mind and heart to be a sower. And this some of you have been walking with Jesus much longer than me. And you still have that heart. And I applaud you. Thank you for modeling to us authentic Christianity for these many, many decades. Thank you.